And the reality is there is a conversation, a communication connection that all takes place. There's touch and electricity and energy that's being exchanged within this space. It's dynamic. It's hot. You're breathing and moving together, sweating, engaging physically in such close, tight proximity. It's hot. It's erotic. Lean into it. Oh my gosh, don't pull away. another episode. I am thrilled to have Alice Little with me today. She is a renowned sex worker. I'm going to go ahead and say sex worker. And I would also classify you as an intimacy coach. I think that might not be part of your official title, but I've listened to a number of your shares on the internet. (laughs) And I'm really impressed with your level of empathy and grace when it comes to your work. So I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. It is such an honor to be here and share space with you all. I cannot wait for the conversation we're going to have today. So I was really excited to have you on for a number of reasons. I wanted to have someone from the sex work industry on for a long time. And because I think there are a lot of myths and confusion about sex work. Mm -hmm. And it's also such a broad industry. It covers a lot. Um, so I, am. I have a lot of questions for you. Um, but I think the one that I'd love to start with is just how did you get into your industry? What is your origin story? Well, it's a very interesting tale. I found sex work by way of sex education. I was so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to work at the front desk of one of the top private dungeons in New York city. Through that opportunity, I was able to attend a lot of different educational classes, BDSM classes, safe sex classes, all sorts of different things. And eventually, I started teaching classes myself. Soon enough, I found it becoming my part-time job, and every single weekend, I would pack my bags and travel all across the country teaching at different events. I've taught in 48 states, three different countries, and it was one of the events that I met a fellow educator that happened to have some brothel experience of their own. We were sitting and talking about it, and it just sounded so interesting. I couldn't help but apply. I literally took out my phone the night of the event, applied online to work at a legal brothel, got a phone call the next day, did the phone interview and purchased plane tickets within 72 hours of having the idea in the first place. Wow. So a couple of things that I love about this. First of all, I think a lot of people would, uh, would pause it like, wow, you apply. Like that's a thing that you do, you apply. And I think this is a good example of, you know, legal sex work versus illegal sex work is pretty different. And the experience of sex workers is vastly different all over the globe. Can you touch a little bit on, you know, the differences? I know that you can't sort of explain the entire industry (laughs) in its entirety because it's so vast, but can you just touch on that a little bit? Because there's, there's a pretty big difference. Yes. So in a nutshell, sex work has been with us since the dawn of time. We have evidence of it in every single civilization since forever. In Rome, in Egypt, you name it, sex work was there. Sex workers were there and a part of society. In today's world, legalization is mixed depending on where you are in the world. Some countries have full decriminalization and legalization, such as New Zealand, which allows for both brothel work as well as true independent work. Other countries, such as America, has limited legalization. Here in the States, sex work is only legal in one of the 50 states, Nevada. 
And even then, it's only legal through the Nevada brothel system. This means that a sex worker must obtain a legal brothel worker license, pass a background check, and consent to an FBI-level fingerprint check in order to obtain this license and begin working at the brothel in Nevada. Yeah, and that's um, that's pretty different from independent work. And the, you know, the safety and the, um, like, I would, I would be curious to hear about your experience uh, in a legal brothel versus do you have friends that are working in other places and, and do you share stories? Oh, of course. I have many friends that work in the independent and unfortunately here in the United States, criminalized side of the industry. There's an unfortunate reality where not everyone has the ability to come and travel to Nevada, stay at a brothel, work there for two weeks. Many folks are single parents, let's say, and don't have the ability to do so, which is why they may choose to participate in the independent and criminalized side of the industry. The reality is, however, that I don't face any of the difficulties or challenges that my peers in the criminalized industry do. For example, at the brothel, we have panic buttons in our room. Everything is ran through our credit card machine. Like, it's all above board. I pay my taxes. I have health insurance. I just recently was able to purchase a little farm property. Whereas folks in the criminalized industry don't receive the benefit of being able to participate in the legal financial system. They aren't able to, say, finance a property because their income isn't coming through necessarily legal channels. Not to mention the fact that, unfortunately, people do desire to harm sex workers. Violence is an unfortunate reality. Not to mention that criminalization comes with an increased risk for things like getting arrested and whatnot. I certainly don't agree with criminalization. And personally, I think we need decriminalization and legalization nationwide. But the reality is right now, we currently only have that here in Nevada. With that being said, Oregon actually has a proposal this year for decriminalization, which is really interesting. I'm happy to hear that. I'm a huge advocate for decriminalization and legalization for a whole variety of reasons protection of the sex workers for me is paramount. And, and some of the stuff we're going to get into today, I think it's a, a deeply sacred relationship, actually. I think that there's a lot of potential for growth and healing and joy and fun. And I don't think that it should be, you know, I think the roots of the criminalization of it are puritanical. <laughs> they're, they're not actually based in, in reality or serving humanity. So it's speaking, true. yeah, speaking yeah. of that, that kind of way that it can be sacred. One of the reasons I, one of the things I loved in one of your other interviews was you were talking about working with neuroatypical clients and sometimes first timers also known as virgins, right? Neuroatypical folks who have never had sex before. And I know I have several of those clients in my work, and I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to, you know, and we're going to mostly be talking about men who have sex with women on this episode. That's many of my clients, but I just want to name that anyone who has sex with anyone <laughs> this can apply to. Um, but can you speak a little bit to how those folks found you? And, you know, did they, for example, hear one of your interviews and become interested? And what has it been like for you working with? first timers who might not have the same social skills as others. Yes. I've got to say, I love working with people who have never been to the brothel before and getting to share that first time experience with them or sharing that first intimate experience with them as well. Many, many of my guests are virgins, folks coming out of sexless relationships, people getting back in the saddle of intimacy after a long time away from it. And I meet these people everywhere. I come across folks on Twitter. I've met people on Reddit. Folks have emailed me after hearing me on a podcast. Any number of different ways I've had the opportunity to connect with people. And one of the things that I particularly love about neurodivergent folks is just how incredibly articulate, interesting, intelligent, and genuine 
people are. Much in the same way that you were saying the atypical communication skills, I completely agree. The social skills for folks that are neurodivergent are very, very different from folks that are neurotypical. For example, hesitancy around intimacy is very, very common and very normal. Why? Because there's a desire for quality of intimacy as being the desired characteristic, whereas someone who's neurotypical may approach sex with more of a quantity, like a quantity, bountiful mindset of, I'm going to get with as many people as I can. (laughs) And that's kind of where the American experience of like our 20 year old frat boy getting laid, getting as much as he can. Like, that's why we expect that to be the normal. And we associate, oh, virginity is something you lose when you're a kid. Cause of course you're going to have a whole bunch of sexes, like a Randy college kid. Like, yeah, it's such a good point because I think it's also wrapped up in the idea of masculinity and how masculinity is portrayed in our culture, which in my experience with my clients is not actually true. A lot of the time, you know, to your point, most of the men that I work with are turned on by connection. So they, they have to have some kind of connection with the person that they're being sexual with for it to be pleasurable for them. And I think to your point, it's uh, the presentation of it in culture is men don't really care who they fuck as long as they can fuck a lot. <laughs> Just I, you do that. Yeah. You said it spot on. And so much of this portrayal is honest to goodness, a stereotype. I have been in sex work for six years now, full time. And I have connected with folks from all over the globe, all 50 states, everyone from Fortune 500 CEOs to people that are blue collar workers at Walmart. I have seen the full spectrum of humanity. And I can honestly say the Hollywood portrayal of hypermasculinity is really just that, a stereotype. And it is so incredibly damaging that we see the idealization of this stereotype and it really doesn't serve men. If anything, it really causes them deep harm and it impacts their ability to be intimate and it impacts their ability to communicate because they feel inhibited and limited. Like men aren't supposed to talk about their emotions actually talking about your emotions and your feelings, particularly with your intimate partner is very attractive and connective. That's a big positive thing, but stereotypical hypermasculinity says, Oh no, no, don't talk about that. I want to talk to whatever idiot came up with that idea, grab him by the scruff and tell him something. Cause that is like the worst (laughs) advice ever. It's so true. And it's so unfortunate because it, it does affect everyone. You know, I think I've been talking to some of my women friends lately about our, our hypervigilance as women to make sure that we're not used by men for sex. And I think that a lot of that vigilance is actually rooted in this idea that we've been trained, you know, in this conversation of, well, men only want one thing from us. They only want sex. They're just going to use you. And even if your family of origin didn't say that the culture says it. And so we're kind of on guard. I think there's a way that women who have sex with men are sort of on guard and hypervigilant to make sure, you know, don't sleep with him too early. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that so that you'll be respected. And so there's this tightness in our bodies. There's a, there's a fear and there's a vigilance because we're trying not to be used. And then on the other side, you know, for most of the men I know, they, they're not using women for sex. Yes. There are some men who do that, but most of them are like, I really like you. Like I actually like you, you know, I do respect you and I do want to be sexual with you, but I don't, I'm not just trying to get a notch on my belt. I actually do connect with you and I don't connect with that many people. And so there's this gap and it's so refreshing and illuminating to hear you talk about it because you do have such a breadth of experience and you can actually speak to, you know, the variety of men that you've seen in your work 
to your point, crosses the socioeconomic scale and, you know, crosses the, the, the geographic scale, right? You have a, a, you have a lot of experience. And so for you to say, actually men are human beings, <laughs> they do have a heart. They do want a lot of the same things. And that's not what's shown as well, in order to be a man, you know, you have to be unfeeling and you have to just want to fuck anytime and you have to be ready and you have to be hard right away. And you have to, all of these things that are not true. And yet we're all fed this diet. And so we think that's how it's supposed to be. Bingo. It's part of our societal intimate trauma when it comes to what we think of as being sex, what it means to have sex and what it means to be in a relationship. Society wants us to think that the act of having sex is getting in, getting off, and getting out of there before you fall in love. And the reality is there is a conversation, a communication, connection that all takes place. There's touch and electricity and energy that's being exchanged within this space. It's dynamic. It's hot. You're breathing and moving together, sweating, engaging physically in such close, tight proximity. It's hot. It's erotic. Lean into it. Oh my gosh, don't pull away from that desire for fear of, oh no, it's supposed to look like this or that. Mm. No, no, it doesn't. Put down the porn playbook. It's not helping you. It's yeah. not reality. That's not how we're supposed to be having sex in relationships. It really is about the three pillars. And that's what I've really like established as being the core pillars of intimacy. It's like connection, communication, and intimacy. That's those are the three things that you need for a quality connection relationship, really anything in life. If you don't have connection, communication and intimacy, you're going nowhere fast. Yeah. I'm curious in your work, you know, because sometimes you'll only see someone once. How do you help someone? Let's say, let's say it's a neurodivergent guy in his thirties who has very little experience with sex How do you actually go about that session? How do you sort of help put him at ease? You know, how much communication is there before he comes to the brothel? And then how much is there during the actual session? I'm so grateful that you mentioned before communication. Personally, I'm only available by appointment only, which means that my guests are reaching out to me weeks or sometimes even months before the time that we actually meet, which gives us this beautiful opportunity to communicate, to connect, to get to know each other. Personally, I offer virtual dates for my guests, the opportunity to hop on Skype or Zoom, share a drink or a meal, go for a walk, meet my goats, whatever it so may be, just to relax, to help break the ice, kind of like a date before we meet face to face. So this way, by the time that we're actually connecting in person, that anxiety is so much lessened because it's like meeting an old friend rather than a stranger which is actually my preference too. And a large part of the reason why I choose to only be available by appointment only. I'm very, very blessed and lucky to have the opportunity to be quite selective about my guests. And so I'm really able to prioritize who I see and devoting 100% of my energy to that person. See, I like that. So so in other words, um, a man might reach out to you to see if you have availability in you know, six weeks or so say when he can get off work so that he can make it to Nevada and you're going to get to know him as an actual person. And sort of, I would imagine like, what are you looking for? What kind of experience do you want? Do you also sort of ask him what kind of sexual experience he's had in the past? Like, you know, how experienced are you? Or are you leading that sort of conversation? Is he sharing a lot? How's that work? You know, I don't even worry about what's happening in the bedroom until I know them as a human being first. I want to get to know the essence of who someone is before we start discussing how can I help them? Because I'm not going to have any idea of the best way to work with someone until I really have a good understanding of their heart and soul, what their interests are. And yeah, like, what has your history been like? Tell me about your first date. Tell me about your first kiss. If you've not had that, what do you hope it to look like or feel like? What kind of things are you excited for in the future? It's it's not just the intimacy and sex component, 
But really, I want to have a full picture of who somebody is because I feel like all of those things contribute to what your experience is intimately. Uh, a very good example of this is a guest that was having a very hard time asking for a promotion. Coincidentally, they also were having a very hard time asking for their intimate needs to be met by their partners where they weren't having their pleasure met because they couldn't put words to it. And we ended up identifying kind of a commonality there, which was this challenge in being able to speak up for the things that they desire and, frankly speaking, deserve. They're more than qualified to have that promotion, and they more than deserve to have their pleasure met during an intimate experience. And so we didn't just work on finding intimate pleasure, but we also worked on the skill of how do we use language in various scenarios. And, you know, he ended up getting a promotion, which is pretty cool. <laughs> That's such a great story. I, I think it's a, there's a lot of overlap between what you're describing and you know, my experience with my clients. And I'm wondering, you know, do you, do you find that there are patterns that there are sort of different types of uh, experiences that men are looking for? For example, um, they don't get a particular sexual act from their long-term partner and they're craving that, or there are certain, you know, sort of buckets that men tend to fall into. I don't, necessarily like the word buckets because each person is so individual in what their desires are. But with that said, there's certain commonalities that I do see. For example, one common thread is people who have never done something before but want to cross it off their like bucket list. So like everybody who has a bucket list type item, you could say, fall under one category, but like everyone's bucket list is going to be so diverse and different. For one person, their bucket list might be an erotic threesome with three schoolgirls in a limo. Another person's idea of a bucket list item might simply be going out for a romantic dinner in which nobody judges them for needing assistance eating because they're quadriplegic. Like, both of those things are valid bucket list items here, but we're talking about two very, very, very different looking results. So while there are certain overarching commonalities, there's still so much individuality within it. Like, let's say the overarching desire is to be released of control and say experience BDSM in which I dominate them. Well, one person might want sissification in which they're done up in makeup and they're put into a sissy made costume. Another person might want flogging and kind of want that rhythmic pressure for release purposes. Another person might be into degradation or humiliation. Like, again, very, very, very different things here. And so commonalities and differences. Yeah. One thing I really like about what you're bringing up is the genuine non-judgmental space that you hold. And I think a lot of those, you know, I definitely have clients who feel a lot of shame around their sexual desires, whatever they are, sort of to your point. And, you know, I have, you know, one client who really loves anal sex and he's kind of like, he feels bad about it. He feels a little bit like, I shouldn't want this, or I shouldn't want this as much as I do, or, you know, some women don't, aren't comfortable with it. And I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable and I have no judgment around it. Right. It's a, we all have sexual preferences and our sexual preferences, what turns us on our turn-ons are deeply sacred because they're an expression of us. And a lot of times they're sort of unexpressed aspects of us or they're, they're, they can be in the shadows. So I've been reading, I don't know if you've read, tell me what you want, but there's a new book out about one of the most comprehensive studies on um, sexual fantasies. And mm -hmm. it's primarily focused on Americans. So this is not a global study, but it was a pretty big study done on Americans. And, you know, what you mentioned of um, humiliation, degradation, 
um, men who like to dress up as women, not men who are trans, not trans women, but men who like to, you know, wear women's clothes or things like that in a sexual scenario. I think there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of yeah, societal shame on top of personal shame around that, but it's quite common, right? A lot of these fantasies are very common and there's something so, um, there's something so meaningful about the space that you hold for your clients, because this is often, I'm guessing things they've never told someone else because they've been holding it so close to the vest and feeling like, well, I could never tell anyone this because they would think I was lame or they would think I was gross or they would think I was a pervert. You know, I think a lot of my clients in particular, they, they're scared. They're scared of being judged. And so they won't even necessarily tell their intimate partner what they really want because they don't want her to think that they're weird. They don't want her to think that they're gross. And so they're, they're not really fully expressed and they're not really kind of owning what they want. And it's such a a beautiful bridge. I think that someone like you can provide of helping them, you know, helping draw them out, right. Helping them actually express whatever it is that they want, because to your point, then they have that experience in their body of, Oh, that's what it feels like to speak up for myself. This is what it feels like to say what I want and have someone accept it, right? Have someone actually hold it with love instead of throwing it back in their face or getting angry with them or calling them a name. And, you know, I don't know about you, but many of my clients are survivors of bullying. A lot of them were bullied in school um, and or domestic violence, you know, abuse at home. And so many of them haven't really had that safe space. They haven't actually had a place where they felt received in, in their desires and in the sort of more taboo areas of their life, which they hold with a lot more, um, yeah, a lot more just tension, right? Like what is the person going to think if I tell her this? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And well, I certainly cannot speak for all sex workers because every single sex worker, and I feel this is very important is an individual and everyone has their own limits and boundaries and things that are going to be on their no list and services that they do provide and services that they don't provide. But what I can say is that sex workers by and large are a 100% judgment-free, safe populace to discuss things with. Even if it's something that say, I don't provide Oftentimes, I will connect somebody to a colleague of mine that is a specialist in that area that does offer that service. Or even let's say a guest emails me and I feel like they would have a better connection with someone else because the thing that they're interested in isn't something that I'm deeply passionate about or isn't an intimate preference of mine. For example, the individual you were discussing around anal sex. Well, that's something I am comfortable with. By no means is that something that I particularly specialize in, but I have plenty of colleagues that very much so enjoy that activity. And so that's somebody that I I would be able to kind of like play matchmaker with and be like, oh no, hey, I've got the exact perfect person for you. You two are going to connect wonderfully. And that's part of sex work as well, is not having judgment. There's only one one thing by which I discriminate against, and that is that you have to be of legal age. You do indeed have to be a legal adult, and it depends on the county. Some counties are 18, other counties are 21. So um, Nye County, which is near Vegas and where I work, you do have to be 21 and up, but up north, which is where uh, I want to say the Bunny Ranch and... Oh gosh, I think the Mustang Ranch are. There might be a couple others that were the ages 18. So I mean, other than that, everyone is welcome. My God, every everyone, everybody, whatever, everyone, everyone. I love that. And I can you speak a little bit to, you know, I would say that a number of my clients are either in sexless relationships, whether they're marriages, I mean, many of them are marriages or they're coming out of that kind of relationship. And you, you mentioned, you know, men that are getting back in the saddle. (laughs) Do you find that that's a pretty large percentage of your, your population? And do you, you know, 
how, how is that? What, what, what are, what are the sort of things that those men are talking about and needing and wanting and, you know, patterns you notice? Many, many, many of my guests are folks that are getting back in the saddle after some time away from intimacy. And one of the commonalities is nerves and anxiety, because the reality is they don't quite fuck like they used to when they were 20 anymore. Our bodies change, our hormones change, and that is normal. One of the things that I love doing is sharing intimacy beyond penetration with my guests because many have only had the opportunity for your get in, get off, get out of there because they're having these very quick intimate moments or never had any intimate moments to begin with. And so exploring various types of intimacy, touch, connection, toys, oral, different ways to experience pleasure beyond just insertion and ejaculation is such a wonderful, wonderful gift and something that so many of my guests really enjoy because there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with their bodies. There's no need to go get the little blue pill. Like, no, 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 no. It is perfectly normal for your body's erectile ability to change over time. There's nothing wrong with you and you are not broken. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was, I just, um, did an interview with Holly, with Holly Randall, who you were on her her. as well. Oh my God, love her. (laughs) And she was, so she's a woman porn director for those that haven't listened to that episode yet. And she was saying that at this point, a hundred percent of male sex workers are using Viagra or some other, you know, enhancement drug for porn. So it's literally a hundred percent. And so what we're seeing on porn is not real. We know that intellectually, but I think it's important to actually internalize and understand it's truly not real. And during a sexual encounter, men, people with male bodies will get hard and get soft and get hard and get soft. No one naturally necessarily usually stays hard for hours and hours. It's not really that normal. There's an ebb and a flow to sexual energy, and that's not represented in porn at all. It's really not. And, you know, I think that that is so important what you're saying about, because what it sounds like, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this is it sounds like you're guiding an encounter in some ways and slowing things down to kind of savor and enjoy and allow for lots of different kinds of play instead of, you know, what you said, which I also say to my clients, which is drop the porn script, right? Like you said, just the immediate penetration and then we're done. You roll over and fall asleep. That's not what we're going for. So how, how is it, do you guide, you know, men through that beforehand? Like this is kind of how this is going to go. Is it more in the moment? How does that work? It's kind of a combination of teach and tell because intimacy shouldn't be scripted much in the same way you said, drop the porn script. I don't necessarily script out exactly. Here's what we're going to do. By all means, there is a very important consent conversation. And this is something that I think everyone should get into the habit of doing before sex. Kind of talk about the things that you like, the things that you don't like, the things that turn you on, if you know, the things you'd like to try, if there's anywhere on your body you don't want to be touched. I always like to ask folks to like, hey, if you have like any injury anywhere that's like a little bit painful, like a bad wrist or something, let me know so we're not like putting weight on that or putting you in a position where like now you're on your knees doing doggy style. like. No, we can do doggy style while standing. We can adapt everything to your body here. Like, so long as we communicate about it. And so once the encounter begins, it's kind of almost like a lead and follow where I'll kind of take the lead and start maybe by slowly kissing someone. And then I'll turn my neck to give them the opportunity to kind of kiss down my neck. And then I'll start undoing their shirt and guide their hands down to the dress that I'm wearing and help them with the zipper. So it's kind of like 
very, very natural in the way that things are happening, but we're stopping to savor that slow intimacy of undressing each other and touching and kind of peeling each other off like gifts and then kind of slowly going over to the bed and kissing and touching and teasing and massaging before moving into maybe heavier petting, let's say. Like, it really much reminds me of like, Sexual charcuterie, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, I want to try some of this with this thing. And then, oh, what if we try that together? Oh, hey, I really like that. Hey, you should try this. Like, it really is about savoring and delighting and having the opportunity to relax between moments of intimacy. And these are the parts that get cut out of porn, the pauses in between, which I really feel like so much intimate magic happens where you're like reaching over and tucking your partner's hair behind their ear or like tracing your fingertips along their jaw before giving them like a really soft kiss. Like there's so much magic and energy and intensity in that, but God knows porn's never going to show it to you. Mm, Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as you're describing this, it sounds really intimate. And I think that there's a perception. I think there's a perception that sex work is not intimate that it is very much like, oh, I'm doing this thing, sort of like what we were talking about before with the mechanical side. And I'm, I am I would call that a misconception in terms of, of sex work. And I know that there are definitely clients of mine who I've wished that sex work were legal already because it seems like this would be a great option for a lot of people. So I'm wondering if you can address a little bit of the hesitancy that that some men might have around, oh, what does it mean something about me if I go see a sex worker? You know, am I pathetic that I can't get a quote real woman, which by the way, sex workers are real people. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'd say <laughs> to 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 have sex with me, you know, what do you do you find that? I mean, the people reaching out to you are, I would imagine they've kind of decided they want to do this, but what's your what are your thoughts on that? Oh gosh, for anybody that's on the fence about sex work, it's time to reframe your idea of what a sex worker is and what it means to see a sex worker. Let me tell you about who used to see sex workers back in the day. Kings used to see sex workers. Emperors and nobility all had their own private courtesans, oftentimes living in their castles and palaces. The king's consort was a sex worker, friends. Sex workers were held in the highest of esteem all throughout Asia. We look at the Japanese culture of Oiran, not Geisha, Oiran, which were these very esteemed popular sex workers. And there would be a an entire procession where like everyone would watch as the Oiran made her procession to the home of her guest and people were envious to be the person to see an Oiran. Wow. It was a status symbol. Like it's the equivalency of like women today flashing like a Birkin handbag, like seeing a sex worker is a privilege here. Like that is not a sign of being pathetic here. Like give yourself a pat on the back for being able to enjoy one of the finest things in society. Pleasure. Yeah. I love that. I really, I really think that our culture would be better off in many ways for basically everyone involved for sex work to be legalized and One of the reasons with, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but the one I want to just touch on right now is I think it takes a lot of pressure off of men, at least the men that I work with, I think feel a lot of pressure to be good at sex right away. And when they're dating someone that they like, they don't want to fuck it up. They don't want to do it wrong, right? They want her to be having a good time. They also want to experience pleasure and they want to have a good time. And the truth is that a lot of women are um, traumatized and they, they, their, their sexual capacity is limited in some ways by their trauma, unprocessed trauma. And so 
their level of sexual openness, their level of availability, their, their ability to open or to, you know, guide a man in the way that you're describing isn't always online. And so it seems really sacred to have folks that are there, right. That can guide that are available to help kind of open everyone sexually that they're, that they can lead the way a little bit, because I know, you know, for example, in one of your interviews, you were talking about threesomes, that there are couples who will reach out and say, we, you know, like you said, this is on our bucket list. We don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> we know we want to do it, but we, what, what do we do? Where do we start? And having an experienced guide that can really slow down with people and say, well, what exactly, you know, are you looking for? And, you know, to your point, what are your boundaries, right? Where, where are your boundaries in this? Because <clears throat> if you don't discuss that beforehand, things can go poorly and people can feel left out and it can, you know, it can be not so great, but with an experienced guide, it can be incredible and incredibly intimate and can build, build a bond. So I'm wondering if you can, yeah, just speak a little bit to that, that, that experience of actually having a couple reach out and, and how you handle, you know, two people at the same time, because now you've got double the, uh, the number of, options and also maybe hesitancies. Yes. So first off, I I think it's really important to touch on the fact that communication happens before anything else happens within a threesome. We are going to talk about what is acceptable, what things we do want to do, as well as the things we don't want to see. A very common hesitancy is to see kissing between, say, me and the male partner. That is totally okay. That is totally normal. It is something that is 100% optional. Anything can be put on the table. Anything can get taken off the table. Things can even get taken off the table halfway through. Like, hey, hold on one sec. Actually, don't care for that. Let's change it. Not a problem. I'm a professional. Much in the same way that you were saying the average woman may not be open to and able to guide a guy through intimacy in a professional way. I would not expect them to. It's like the difference between WebMD and somebody who actually has a doctorate here. You can Google it. You can try it. And by all means, you'll probably get somewhere like everybody can handle a Band-Aid, right? But like when it comes to having, say, an intimate experience in which someone is learning for the first time, overcoming hesitation or trauma, getting back into the saddle, even having sex for the first time, I think everyone would be better off having those experiences with a sex worker. When you need your emotional needs met, you see a mental health professional. When you need your physical needs met, you see a doctor or a physical therapist. And when you need your intimate needs met, you see intimacy professionals, sex workers, intimacy coaches, etc. We are professionals. This is what we do. And it is our pleasure. We got into this because we love it. Not because we secretly are out to get men or we're secretly judgmental and talking about you behind your back. Like, I love this. I've been in this profession for six years because I adore this. I chose to do this through a goddamn pandemic. Like I am in this. I mean it when I say that this profession is also my passion. Mm. Yeah. And the reality is that, you know, that's not true all around the world. And there are people who are forced into sex work, you know, in other places. And we're not we're not categorizing all of sex work, right? Alice is talking about her experience in, yes. in, in her world. This is a specific experience. I just want to make that very clear that we, yes. we understand this is, this is not the reality for many, many people, mm-hmm. um, but it is the reality for some. And I'm wondering, as we start to wrap here, um, for men that are interested in this kind of legal sex work, you know, how do they get started? Is it, you know, do they go online? You know, how do they figure out pricing? I know that pricing is, it's sort of sensitive. It can't be discussed until you're there or there's something about pricing. Can you go over that? Because I think there are going to be men who are interested and they're sort of like, well, like how much are we talking about? Can I afford it? 
Cause there's also, it might be travel involved for some people, you know, how does that work? Yes. So first I really want to applaud you touching on the difference between sex trafficking and sex work because sex work is inherently consensual work done by adults who have chosen to do this that are profiting from it personally Sex trafficking is somebody that has been forced, coerced, or otherwise pressured into this that may or may not be of legal age, that may or may not be seeing any of the resulting funds. It's one of the reasons why decriminalization and legalization is so important because it prevents sex trafficking when we pave the way for legal work and we give rights to the most marginalized of sex workers decriminalization protects those folks. So when the immigrant worker is unfortunately at a position where someone's trying to rape her, she can call the cops and not be deported for doing criminalized sex work, even though she's not going to be in the legal system. She's still going to have the protections offered to her by our society. And for guests that want to do this now, want to do this without waiting for decriminalization and legalization to happen in all 50 states, Nevada is such a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. It is legal. It is safe. You do not have to stress about if somebody is being forced or coerced. We do STD and STI testing every single week, and we do have COVID protocols in place. All of the ladies and staff are fully vaccinated, and that's something that we are one of the only locations to offer. As far as what the experiences cost, like like it was mentioned, we cannot discuss specifics online. One, it's against the law. And two, every individual is unique. But what you should know is that I'm very flexible. I'm able to work with people. Send me an email, alicelittle at thealicelittle.com. Tell me about yourself, what you're looking for, what your experiences are like. And I am sure we can find something that will work for you. Well, I might not be able to like discuss prices. You can certainly give me an idea of like what you have in mind. And then I can kind of use that to give different suggestions like, hey, let's try some intimacy online to build up your confidence versus, hey, yeah, let's plan to meet in person. There's all sorts of different options. I love that. And thank you for for speaking so eloquently to the um the difference between sex work and sex trafficking. I think that I just want to highlight what you said about legalization and decriminalization will make people safer. It will make people safer. So I'm, I'm a big advocate. So okay. any, <laughs> like that. yeah, any listeners that are in Oregon, you have tremendous power this year. Yes. You get to be a big, big, big advocate. You yes. need to talk about decriminalization with your friends, with your family, and then you need to go and you need to vote for decriminalization. Yes. That, that's really where the role of guests fall into the bigger picture of sex work. Mm-hmm. You're our biggest advocates because you are the consumer. Your voice goes such a long way in speaking out and speaking up for our rights and our privileges and our access. And so even if you have friends that live in Oregon, encourage them to go out and vote. Every single vote is going to matter. The margin, I imagine, is going to be extremely tight. Every single vote matters here. And I cannot, cannot stress that enough. I'm I'm hoping that we see full legalization in our lifetime. I'm hoping it'll be like dominoes and it'll just keep cascading forward. Um, I do want to make sure that we just touch on that question about the, the threesome, um, angle, because, you know, I was also, yeah, I was also thinking that, you know, I'm wondering, sometimes I think sometimes it can be really healthy and sometimes it can be kind of like, Oh, maybe if we do this, it'll save our relationship. I'm wondering if you've ever had experience with couples where you thought to yourself, I don't think this relationship's going so well. And this is sort of a last ditch effort to save it. Or do you find that most of the time it feels like, no, this is a really nourishing choice for both people. They're both really into it. You know, what's your experience been with couples? I get a full spectrum of emails with people seeking out threesomes for all sorts of reasons. People seek out threesomes because it's primarily his pleasure. People seek out threesomes because it's primarily her pleasure. 
Sometimes she's in a position where she can no longer be intimate, but she still wants to be involved while he's having penetrative sex. I have seen guests where the threesome is kind of the last stitch effort to save the relationship. And I always like to take extra time to communicate before we actually decide to start our booking to make sure that it is truly a mutually consensual, beneficial experience. And that if we're going into this as a, hey, he desperately, desperately needs to have his intimacy fulfilled with other people and I'm uncomfortable, but I am still consenting, you know, as adults, we can consent to things that are uncomfortable and challenging and perhaps even scary. And as a professional, I'm able to help guide them through what can be a scary and challenging sort of thing and help to turn it into something that's nourishing and beautiful where, okay, yes, 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 we've gotten this other person involved. And then at the same time, I'm also going to be making sure to impart lasting skills into their relationship like, hey, let's change this threesome up a little bit by introducing sex toys. That's kind of like a third unique dynamic and then letting them get comfortable with sex toys. So this way they have something new to explore within their own dynamic to kind of create similar energy at home. That's like a gift that I'm able to give people who might otherwise be hesitant. I think that's another great point about, you know, the difference between a man having sex or being sexual with a woman who isn't as experienced as you versus you, right? To your point about professionalism, you just know a lot more and you've just, you've just been sexual with a lot more bodies. You just know a lot more. So there's a way you can guide people in a way that, you know, if a man just meets a woman online and goes on a date, she's not a professional. It's not, she, it's not fair to compare those and it's not going to be the same experience and it can be wonderful, but it's not, it's not the same because a lot of what you're talking about is sexual education. It's not what we think of as sex education in school. It's frankly a lot better. It's more, it's more real and comprehensive and about pleasure and about connection and about intimacy instead of just here are some STIs, make sure you don't get them. It's, you know, an actual teaching and learning experience without necessarily some of the same pressures, I think that do come along with something like dating, where there's a lot of unspoken expectations and there's a lot of, there's just a lot more pressure in different ways than this is really clear what this relationship is, right? It's a, it's a teaching, learning, growing sexual experience. And it's, it's an exchange. It's not, you know, kind of a lot of my men have had confused, very confusing dating experiences. And this is a lot more clear. There's a lot more communication. And, and frankly, the, the men get to be guided in a way that they don't necessarily feel the pressure of having to do all the work or lead all the way and know everything beforehand. Yes. And, and to your thought about like a a guy wanting to have a threesome and then picking up a, a, somebody from a bar off of a website you know, that person probably is looking for like a relationship and not just a casual hookup. Speaking to the energy earlier of women starting to feel used by men, you know, like don't just randomly go hook up with somebody to have a threesome and then be like, okay, bye. That's, that's not very kind. Like, and for the women who are concerned here, let's be very clear here. This is the same exact energy by which your kids go to daycare. They're going to watch your kid and take great care of them. But at the end of the day, they're going to give them right back to you. No one wants to keep your kid. I don't want to keep your husband. Please take him home with you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, that's, that's a great, as we, you know, are starting to wrap. I'm curious, you know, do do any of your clients fall in love with you? I mean, if, if I would imagine if it's a, one of their first sexual experiences and you're so, you, you know, you have such attunement and empathy and, and great holding, you know, how, how does that work? What, what do you, what do you find in terms of, of that relationship? I, I really think that the key word here is relationship. And so as consenting adults, everybody needs to consent to what type of relationship we're having and respect whatever limits and boundaries we choose to put into place. It's a conversation in which both of us need to decide, Hey, what type of relationship do we want to have? 
For example, if I have a guest that, say, chooses to, say, see a sex worker as their primary relationship, they're not married, they're not going to be dating, they intend to see me for the next several years, we may choose to consent to things like saying, I care about you, I love you, take care of yourself. We may choose to opt into those things, understanding the nature and dynamic of our relationship. But it's always, always, always a conversation. It's never just gray limits and boundaries. It's always very, very clear. And that kind of brings us to, to my final question, which is I, whatever you're willing to share about, I would love to hear of what is your dating life? Like what, you know, do you disclose what you do right away when you're meeting people out in the wild? How do you, what are you, are you in a relationship? And of course you don't have to answer any of these questions, but I'm dying to know what do you, you know, cause sometimes I'll not say that I'm a sex and relationship coach right away. Cause I feel like it changes the dynamic. So I'll go with something else. I'm a writer. I'm curious what you, you know, how you negotiate your dating life. Oh gosh. Well, first I'm pansexual and polyamorous. And so I'm open to the idea of dating everyone and everyone. I'm not exactly limited by gender or body type or any like specific thing. I tend to fall in love with who somebody is more so than any other characteristic about them. So I, I don't necessarily have like a like a type. And as far as my dating life goes, I mean, everybody knows I'm a sex worker. Like my doctor knows I'm a sex worker. My hairdresser knows I'm a sex worker. My pet sitter knows I'm a sex worker. Like my realtor knows I'm a sex worker. My housekeeper, of course, they know I'm a sex worker. My God, they have to navigate around my very large collection of sex toys. Bless them, bless them, bless them. I keep it covered when they're here, but like, they know, they know there's, there's, everybody knows. So of course, if and when I am dating, everybody knows. I'm a big fan of being super open and honest and communicative right from the beginning, because frankly speaking, if somebody can't handle the fact that I am a sex worker without stigma, they can't handle being in a relationship with me in the first place. Great. I love that. And um, for those that aren't familiar with the term pansexual, could you just explain what that means? Because I think sometimes people think it has to do with the God pan or pots and pans. And <laughs> that's not well, nothing to do with pots and pans. But I do like the energy of the eclectic nature of pots and pans. Think of it. Very different things means that somebody's probably really open to everybody which is kind of how I am. I'm into men, I'm into women, I'm into non-binary folks. I love folks that are trans. I love folks that are intersex. If you are of legal age, there is a good chance that I could be into you because I have literally no physical preferences for who I am into, nor what's going on in their pants. Like I'm, I'm into it, I'm into people. I love that. That's a great way of describing it. Whoever you are and whatever's going on in your pants, I could be interested. That's pansexuality. <laughs> so, all right. Well, as we're um, starting to close here, can we just uh, redrop your, your contact for people that are interested and um, yeah, any, any ways to get in touch with you or other interviews? Alice is all over the internet. <laughs> so there are lots of other places to hear her thoughts. And then how are people, how do people get in touch with you? Yes. Best, best place to go is going to be my website, which is the alicelittle.com. And you can always email me personally, alicelittle at the alicelittle.com. You're going to find me and my content on Twitter Instagram. I go live every Thursday on YouTube. I'm of course on OnlyFans and I'm also offering a brand new sex education series through Patreon for 2022 and I'm really really excited about that. All of those various links can be found on my website or simply search enter me into like a Google search engine plus Twitter or Facebook or whatever the thing is. And you should be able to find me. No problem. I'm everywhere. Send me an email. I would love 
to connect with you, answer your questions, get to know you. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for being on. This was really, this was really enlightening and I think encouraging. And um, yeah, I'm really happy that we that we got into everything that we did. And I'm, I'm curious to hear from people. If you want to get me, you can also get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. Would always love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to everyone who is listening. And this is so much fun. 